What up, world? Welcome back to another episode of Locked on Blazers. I am your Blazers beat writer and pass first point guard, Mike Richmond. Today, ahead of Game 1, the Western Conference semifinals, Blazers are going to be in Denver tonight, but I'm sure you already know that. So to prep for this game and for the beginning of a pretty intriguing series, I chatted with the host of Locked on Nuggets, Adam Mares, who also is a writer and editor at denverstiffs.com. So the audio you're about to hear now is our conversation. Hope you guys enjoy it. All right, now we welcome in Mike Richmond, the host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm uh, I'm excited for round two. I'm excited as well. And you know, going into the the Portland OKC series, I felt pretty confident that Portland was going to stomp in their series. Did you kind of feel the, the exact same way that they? The, OKC was just going to get pounded? No, listen, um, that was not my, not at all what I guessed. I thought, um, I thought the loss of Nurk and just playing, having to play Cantor and Myers Leonard so much at at that spot, I thought, uh, I thought the Thunder were just going to pick and roll them to death and it was going to be a long series. But after the Blazers won game one, a game that they played terribly in, uh, I started to feel like, well, you know, if you, you know, you steal a game, even if you steal it at home, uh, I start, started to get my sort of, uh, my belief <laughs> yeah. kind of was, was backed up a little bit after that first game. And then by the end of the series, they were just so much better. And I was like, how did I ever think OKC was going to win? <laughs> I was so low on OKC all year. And I, I kept waiting for the tide to turn on them. And then it kind of did over the last like post-All-Star break section, basically. So I it, it was more to do with just how low I was on OKC and then how much I just sort of believed in Damian Lillard in a, in a playoff series. Um, which turned out to be a pretty solid belief. Yeah, um, he really, he really uh, you know, backed you up on that one. <laughs> so who did Portland fans want out of San Antonio and Denver? Was there a preference? Uh, I think pretty clearly San Antonio, just for the home court advantage. Oh, uh, yeah. The, the Spurs are also worse. Like the, yeah. I kept, I kept saying this, like, even if the Spurs win the series, they're probably the worst of the two yeah. teams. For sure. but, but I think the home court advantage just made it. It was just like, listen, that's it doesn't matter who you think's better and all this sort of, you know, the like Popovich fear that comes up with the Spurs. And everyone's like, well, Popovich. Well, yeah. Popovich still has to play Marco Bellinelli nine minutes every night. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny. When Denver got up, I think, 17 in the second half that game, you kind of watch the Spurs and you're like, man, that's a lot of mid-range pull-up jumpers they're going to have to hit to catch up. And they almost did it, but it's just the, the way they play – it's so hard for them to pull ahead by a lot, and it's so far hard for them to catch up when they get down by a lot. So, I think I think Denver definitely probably the tougher team for for Portland from my perspective. Um, but both of them, the nice thing about Portland and Denver is I think they're on a pretty level playing field, and so it'll make for for a pretty interesting series. L- let me let me first kind of catch everybody up on the injury status of guys. So get, I got a couple guys banged up. Obviously, Nurkic is out, the high profile injury there. Um, what else is going on with the team right now? Just from maybe guys that are playing, but guys that are just kind of um, nicked up. Well, and Ennis Kanter's name popped up on the injury list or injury report for game one. He's listed as questionable. Uh, I assume he's going to start and play. I would it's be very surprised. Then, right? It's a shoulder. He separated his left shoulder. Ugh. It's not a hundred percent clear when he did it. But in game five, if you watched, he was running with that left arm just basically up against his chest so he didn't have to swing it. He was high-fiving everyone with only his right hand. 
And then he would go down and bang with Stephen Adams on the block using both hands and his busted shoulder. Uh, he also flopped at one point uh, to draw a foul on Stephen Adams and did it and landed right on his shoulder. And it was like took him a few oh. minutes to get up. Like not not worth it, Ennis. Maybe not worth it <laughs> right there. Um, but he says he said he's. He said he's questionable. He's officially listed as questionable. I expect him to play, but the already thin front line is even thinner um, with if, if he's, you know, limited, and he clearly is. Yeah. How many minutes do you expect? I mean, let's just assume he plays, because I know today at practice he was getting shots up. I mean, you never really see a whole lot at practice, but you could see that he could at least, like, take shots and move around without, like, dragging his arm or anything. If yeah. he plays, do you think it's like a – a really tight minute restriction, or do you think if he plays, they're going to play him like he's like he's healthy? I would assume if he plays, he plays, and it's just how much pain can he take. Um, it's just a, mm. it's a pain tolerance thing at that point. I don't think it'll be. It, I don't think they would say like, oh, he has 22 minutes of shoulder pain in him. You know, <laughs> if, if he plays, <laughs> if he plays, he's going to play until it, until it hurts him too much, or until he, you know, unfortunately further separates it and and has uh, has complications to deal with for them. Uh, I always like that idea. The yeah, he has 22 minutes of pain tolerance. Yeah, yeah we're well, keeping him to that. I've been trying to get uh, Tom Haberstroh to write. Uh, you know, because he's big on those health stories, to write a story about how the health how health departments come up with you know a 16 minute limit. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, he's his, his knee has about mm, about 16 minutes in it tonight. We'll see what he can do. Michael Malone is is a, a Thibodeau when it comes to injuries. He's he, Gary Harris this year. You know, was on a lot of 15 minute restrictions where he played 35 minutes. <laughs> you think like okay, I guess if you need him <laughs> to win, might as well forget the restriction. Um, who, what about CJ McCollum? How, how's he doing physically, and how was he in that first series? He seems fine, honestly. Like if if he's hurt, I want to be hurt like him. Yeah. Um, he you know he didn't he he didn't have a great game. Uh, just box score wise in game five, but basically it's because he only played nine minutes in the first half and it took him the whole third quarter to find his rhythm. But he had two huge shots down the stretch to to win that game for him, help him win that game. I mean, I think Dame won the game. Well, <laughs> he had a little bit to do with it at least. Yeah, if you want to get really specific, I'm pretty sure Dame won it. But CJ hit a huge 19-footer. He had a little runner where, where uh, Russ gambled and he, and he banked one in. So I think he's fine. Um, obviously... He, he, we don't really know because he's not going to say my knee hurts, but he seems fine. And everyone else seems like pretty clean bill of health um, considering where we are in the season. From Denver's perspective, Jamal Murray hurt his uh, shoulder, I believe in game six and in game seven, he only took, I believe one three point attempt. He talked about, he's a guy that he, he does the, I think kind of lame thing. You could say it's the, the tough thing where he never like admits an injury. So you can't really get much out of him. Um, but it's very clear that, that his shoulder that, – that could be a little bit of a factor. So yeah, I mean, you just see how much he's wearing on that shoulder. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not like a cool fashion thing. Like, clearly he's, <laughs> clearly he's dealing with something. And, and to me, uh, Murray is, the, is, is sort of the bell cow for if, if – when Denver's good, Murray's good. When Murray's bad, Denver's bad. I mean, that's yeah. – uh, it kind of boils down to whether Jamal Murray has a good game for them, or at least it has in, this, in the playoffs so far, when he's bad, um, you know, in, in their – in their losses, he's just been he's been he's averaging like 13 a game in the losses and shooting under 40 percent. You know, and, and then, that those yeah, and even those 13 are are kind of misleading because I think he's had some even even bigger stinkers. But um, yeah, Murray is is certainly that guy in the playoffs and even in the regular season. The way I always phrase it is, Denver can win when he doesn't play well, but they're really hard to beat when he does. Um, yeah. And when he doesn't play well, that means like Millsap or Gary Harris, somebody else has to kind of step up and fill that void, which 
you know, is pretty dicey. Um, yeah, they haven't had that much. They didn't have that much against the Spurs. They were looking for that who was going to be the other guy, and it was either, well, you know, I mean, Murray just basically won them a game. Yeah, with that monster fourth quarter. Yeah. So, um, so McCollum and and Murray both sort of, you know, maybe a little bit more sensitive physically right now in, in their health, but I don't think the backcourt matchup is a very physical one. I think Dame and McCollum are both finesse, you know make moves type player. They're not bruisers. Defensively, they're not like up in into you, pushing you around. They're not Patrick Beverly. And the same goes for Denver. I think Gary Harris is a good defender, but he's not like getting physical with guys and knocking them to the ground. So I don't know if both guys are good enough to be on the court. Um, I don't know that that'll be an issue. But Cantor's a different story. Jokic is a banger. And, I, and even though he's not like a super athletic guy, he's constantly leaning and bumping into guys. And he's just a load. Yeah. And he's at a load. And it's funny, I'm looking at Enos Cantor's rookie um, pictures, and he he kind of had the Jokic body where he was a little bit thicker and a little bit fuller, and he has slimmed up. And I kind of wonder, watching Jokic, it's, it's kind of funny. I kind of wonder if his weight and size actually works towards his advantage a, a little bit. He certainly knows how to use it on the offensive end to his advantage. Yeah, I mean, you just watch him in the, the first round of the playoffs. Like, Jakob Portal is a, is a big dude. And he, yeah. he basically pushed that guy around all he wanted. Same um, with Aldridge. Aldridge yeah. kept getting pushed off the block by Yoke because he's just so – it's not. I don't know that he's strong. He's just so heavy. He just leans on you. Yeah, yeah, and it, exactly, and he's really good with his weight. I mean, he's he's the dude is all craft. It's it's yeah. Um, he doesn't, you know, he's he's maybe the greatest out of shape basketball player of all time, but he's uh, <laughs> he, he does it his own way, and it's and it's uh, you know, game six he played about as well as you could possibly play in a playoff game, and and he delivered just as well in game seven. One of the best games I've ever seen by a team that lost by 17 points. <laughs> yeah, he, he was fantastic, and they got he sat for four minutes and they lost the game or whatever. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, the, whole, the whole run was right there. Um, all right, let's take a break. When we come back on the other side, I want to start looking ahead to some of the X uh, X factors, the MVPs, and maybe the like biggest weaknesses on each roster. So we'll be back in just a moment. Hey, y'all, it's Mike again. I'm jumping in here before the second segment to tell you guys all about Zip Recruiter. Listen, hiring is a challenge, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over a 1,000 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans through thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the, top, spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of the employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. And right now, Lockdown Blazers listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Lockdown. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, I'm back here with Mike Richmond, host of the Locked On Blazers podcast. Nuggets Blazers getting ready to tip off on Monday, the start of what will hopefully be a long and fun series. I think it will be um, a, at least a very, very interesting one, and I think a lot of scoring, a lot of a lot of excitement. You look at the second round, Mike, there's a lot of good matchups. Boston stealing that game early. Toronto and Philadelphia, I think, will be, even if it's a blowout, there's just some fun bad blood and, and, and some fun ma- matchups. Obviously, Houston-Golden State's the marquee. I think Denver and Portland are, like, I'm pretty, 
I just think they make for a good matchup, like good entertaining basketball, even if both teams are probably going to get smoked if they <laughs> should they advance to the conference finals. Do you see it that way? Yeah, yeah, I think this is the uh this is the semifinal that the rest of the world will not be watching. So maybe it's just the our our listeners and you and I who really who really appreciate this game or like people who have to stay up late to watch uh to watch West Coast basketball and get tired of the Warriors or something like that. Right. But yeah, I think this one should be really fun. I I think these two teams uh just cuz of the way uh, Denver's season has gone. If you'd asked me in February, probably wouldn't have felt this way. But I think they're pretty even right now. Like I, I think yeah. the there was nothing in the in the the way the first round went that makes you say, "Wow, the Blazers can't handle this Nuggets team." And I don't think that you just look at the Blazers roster and say, "This is the type of team that's just going to overwhelm an opponent." You know, they right. kind of punked they punked the OKC, but I, I think Denver's less predictable than Oklahoma City. They can take advantage of more things that the Blazers struggle with on defense. So I, I think it should be a really fun series. Um, if not Nurkic was in this series, I think it would have been. I think it would have been very physical, and there would have been some bad blood. Like if Nurkic was in it, this would be a. I think Portland would probably be favored, you know, in it rather than I think Denver is a slight favorite right now. Um, but uh, if Nurkic was in it, I think this would be like a super intense, intriguing. And probably even a little messy of a series, but yeah, it's, poor Nurk is two most hated teams. Like he loves trolling Russell Westbrook. He made a custom T-shirt to troll Russell Westbrook, <laughs> and like he he loves to pretend like he's all buddy buddy with the Nuggets, and then like wish them a good summer and things like that. So I feel I feel a little sad for Nurk that the way the playoffs aligned, his trolling really won't come into play as much as uh, as, as it could have. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm bummed for Nurk for the injury and obviously for his career kind of taking that bit of a turn. But as a Nuggets fan, a little thankful because, like I said, I think Portland would have been pretty pretty good favorites with him in the series. Um, let's look at some let's look at some of these matchups. Uh, obviously, the MVP. It, it's kind of easy for Portland. The MVP of the series is Damian Lillard, as he's the MVP of everyone. And for Denver, it's Lillard as well. Who would you say is the next most important player in this series for for Portland? I mean, it's in the way that the playoffs, at least for the Blazers so far, have been defined by stars. It's it's T.J. McCollum. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he's he was really really good against like he was fantastic against OKC. Maybe the best we've seen him play. Uh, and he, you know, Dame's had some kind of down playoff years, and C.J. statistically hasn't really had him, but he was more impactful in some big games. Um, he, he's been he's been fantastic. I mean, I think I think he's. Uh, Let's see if I can pull up his, his playoff shooting. He's shooting above fifty percent heading into from three. Oh wow! He's, he's way down, way down to 40, <laughs> only forty five percent from three. Oh uh, but, but he was shooting above fifty percent from three on like eight attempts a game heading into wow. heading into kind of a quiet uh, game five. He's just yeah. been really good. He's he's the Blazers have had some flameouts in the playoffs because their stars haven't played like stars, and everyone wants to say that it's Al Aminu's fault, but it's like. I don't know, man. If Dame sucks, it doesn't matter if Al Farouk if Al Farouk yeah, also for sure. Bad. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it's 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 the Blazers two stars. If their guards are really good, they'll have a chance every night. I this is gonna sound funny. I I, I do think C.J. McCollum is gonna be really really important in the series and probably in a vacuum the second most important player. But I I think Cantor to me is the second most sort of valuable player to to Portland because. If he can one draw fouls on Jokic, the whole series changes, and that's one of his specialties is drawing drawing fouls. Um, but also, if he can just sort of guard him, he's got the body to guard him at least. I don't think Myers Leonard does, and I don't uh, Zach Collins. I think definitely does not. Yeah, so, Zach is a tough matchup. He's just not strong enough. Yeah, so Cantor, as much as defensively, you know, his reputation is known. 
Denver's not, Denver will run a lot of pick and roll and try to put him in a lot of pick and roll. But I think the, the big thing is, can he does he turn Jokic into Wilt Chamberlain or does he kind of just keep him at merely good? Um, and and if he does the the latter, I think Portland's odds of of winning go up. So for me, I think Cantor might be the most important one just because of the matchup. Yeah, um, I think that's fair. I think that's fair because I I wonder if the Blazers will just say we are going to we are not and they kind of did this in that in the post Nurk meeting at the end of the year, the one in Denver that the Nuggets won, where they just said we're going to let Jokic go. Like if he wants to yeah. score, we'll let him score. We're not going to send double teams at him. We're just going to we're just going to hope that you know Monty Morris and and uh, Gary Harris don't get hot. Right, right. Um, that's what San Antonio did, and it worked very well. Denver, yeah. Denver shot, I think it has the second worst field goal percentage on wide open threes of the 16 playoff teams and the second best offense. So I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you look at that and go, okay, maybe that was nerves and the offense, you know, took Denver seven games, but their offense could have been so much better. I, I don't I don't like to play that game too much. I think you are kind of how the games go, but um, – you know, maybe there's some some regression to the mean there. What about X factors for for them? What's like the wild card player that if they play really well, it's going to turn the series? Uh, it it all starts with the, with the two wings because Harkless and Aminu are so much better than their other options defensively. Those guys have to play well. But if I have to pick sort of someone outside the obvious starting five, I'll go Rodney Hood. Uh, yeah, he was not ve- he was not very good in round one. He was. Um, I'll just one of I'll my just, least favorite players. <laughs> I'm gonna just say he is a, he was straight up bad. Yeah. Um, shot under 30 percent from the floor, uh, averaged three points a game in just under 20 minutes. Like he was bad. Rodney Hood was bad. He Cleveland had some moments. He had some moments where being six nine was helpful, and I think that that is the key to his game. He is six foot nine. Maybe he can yeah. go out there and uh, be a little bit switchy and and have some ability to. You know, I don't know if he's going to, you know, I'm not saying handle Paul Millsap, but give slow Millsap down a little bit and then also be able to get on a guard and do all the things because Denver's just going to DHO the Blazers to death um, or at least try to. Yeah. So I, I think I think he's sort of the like the super deep X factor, but it always starts with whether Harkless and Aminu play well. Aminu to me is the big one, um, and he's actually not my X factor, but um, he, he is he's one of because – He's a guy that gets wide open threes, and Denver's not going to go out of their way to guard him. In fact, Millsap will be guarding him, and Millsap's Denver's like key, um, key uh, like help side, backside rotation guy. Yeah, so he's kind of like a little rover. He really, he really, yeah, good. yeah. So he's going to be doing that, and if if Amino hits three for three or two, you know, two for two to open the game, then it changes things for Denver. So um, that's kind of, to me, he's he's always going to be the X factor. But I don't think he he sort of tops out at like sixteen points to me. Um, yeah, he actually he's good for like one game each series where the other team just does not guard him and he goes for twenty and eleven. And a lot of those have been in losses over the past three years. It's like Al Farouk Aminu yeah. has this really nice game because the team was like, I bet Al Farouk Aminu can score twenty, but I bet he can't score thirty five, and and it's a safe bet. Yeah, what's happened to Evan Turner? Um, he doesn't get along with the coach. He was never good. And second part's important. And he's, yeah, and and he's and he's a really weird fit because it, you when he's in the game with Damon CJ, he has to dribble. Like he, you have right. to put him on the ball because if you put him off the ball, then you're just you you give another free defender to go chase one of the two guards. But the Blazers are worse when those two dudes aren't the ones operating. Right. So it's just it's a really hard balance. They've tried these minutes to play Evan Turner at point guard with a full bench mob out there, or just CJ. And it's fine, but it just it just hasn't worked consistently. Um, 
he had a he had a moment in game one, or, or maybe like a six minute stretch stretch in game one against OKC where he was a a valuable defender switching between Paul George and Russell Westbrook. But other than that, he's been bad. Um, and I think so. I I I just can't see that changing. He's 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 as likely just to straight up not play in one of these games as he is to to have a good game. What's interesting about that for me, because I, I agree with, like, he's another one of my least favorite types of players, but Denver, their big weakness is on the wing. They just don't have the, they have a bunch of shooting guards, and they don't have a real small forward, and stronger ball handler types, especially one-on-one type players, have, have been able to go off against them, and it's one of those things where Portland, I don't think, ever wants to count on a guy that is all the things you just mentioned, and, and especially on the outside of just the the rotation and everything, but he might be a guy that's more valuable in this series than in most. But um, so you're, again, you're seeing him just like bullying uh, in your nightmares, just bullying Will Barton on the block, like over yeah, over like Will Barton and Malik Beasley will be guarding him, and they're giving up you know 40 pounds, and off, on top of that, they're not good defensively for their weight, like pound for pound. So um, so there is a little bit of a vulnerability there, but. Again, it, it's one of those things that might swing a game, but if Turner is that much out of – not out of the rotation because I see his minutes are there, but his points are not – he's not scoring the ball very much in his limited minutes. So um, so maybe he won't be such yeah, a big Yeah, I mean, factor. he shoots like once a game. I don't know what it is. I'm not <laughs> looking at his Google test, but he shoots once a game. Like he doesn't do anything. He just like grabs rebounds, dribbles up really slow, runs a pick and roll, occasionally turns the ball over in like a really baffling way, and then like is a competitive but not particularly great defender. From Denver's perspective, who is it that you um, see as an X factor? I mean, let's let's just assume Jamal Murray. We've talked about Jokic. We've talked about those guys are staples. Is there a player maybe on the outside that you're like, man, if that guy goes off, we're in trouble? Uh, it's probably it's probably either Morris or Beasley. Um, you know, they haven't been great so far. We haven't seen them have one of their big games. Uh, but there was a time in the middle of the year when I thought Monty Morris could start for, like, 25 teams in the NBA. I don't know about I still stand by it. I think he has the second-best assist to turnover, turnover ratio of all time. So yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely a role for guys that just don't make mistakes. But he hasn't had the positive impact yeah. um, in the playoffs yet. He definitely would be the best point guard on the uh, Magic and the Suns. Uh, <laughs> no doubt about that. That's two he NBA teams yes, where you'd sure. be, be far and away. Uh, Evan Turner might be the best point guard on the Suns. <laughs> yeah, get get my man to Phoenix. Love the pool day. Um, I, I think those guys. I think those guys are are the ones I I, I would say are are the sort of X factors. It's like, can Denver get production from the bench, or is it when they go to those lineups and Jokic is out, are they just awful? Because they've had some moments against the Spurs where they just were awful in those minutes. Um, Plum Dog Millionaire just he just hasn't been he hasn't been good. I guess they've tried him a little bit next to Jokic. I can't imagine them doing that much in this round, but you never know. You never um, know. Yeah. Uh, maybe when if the Blazers go big with with Collins and My- and Myers Leonard, maybe they they go with. Do you expect them to do that? They did it a little bit because I think um, it it helps like with having two guys who can actually screen. They tried it a little bit against uh, Markeith Morris and Nerlens Noel. Yeah, but I don't expect them to lean on it too too much. Uh, I think they're I think they're more likely to go smaller and spread the floor and just try to get into a shootout. So Mason I, I think Plumlee was really good for Denver all year. And the, in the in this playoff series, he was like almost like a completely different player, such a non-factor mixed with a negative impact player. And I wonder, I, I'm real curious for this series, because I'm not sure if that's 
you know, he just – it was a bad matchup for him. Uh, maybe the playoffs always go small and he'll just always kind of not have a role in, in the postseason. Or, you know, maybe it's the thing about him – he only plays like 10 minutes a game and your rotation gets shorter in the playoffs. Maybe it's just hard to get a rhythm when you're playing five, four or five minutes at a time and then that's it for – you know, then you sit for an hour and then you go back in for four or five minutes. Maybe that's <laughs> yeah, it. I don't know. exactly. So it's hard to say. And he was never because the Spurs didn't spend too too many minutes without Lamarcus in the game. He was always playing against somebody really good when he was in there. That's true. That's a good point. That's a really good point. Um, for me, so you know, Gary Harris. There's so, Denver is the team of X factors. I think they have yeah, one yeah, they're star. basically just Jokic and a bunch of X factors. Yeah, exactly. And that's a 34 year old who's like real fun. That's it. <laughs> Millsap usually pretty solid. I I don't know if I could call him an X factor. Although every now and then, Millsap. I think Zach Lowe put this out yesterday during the game, and it was so spot on. Millsap just seems to always know the exact moment, like two minute stretch when Denver needs something, and he steps up. And sometimes that's the start of game. Like the start of game two, I think he had ten points in the first four or five minutes, and. Denver down 0-1, a little nervous. It's like, yeah, I need to go out there and set the tone and make sure everybody knows everything's all right. Uh, that's him. I, I, I just kind of count on him. Every time there's that dicey moment, I'm like, okay, Millsap's going to do something here to kind of help calm Denver down. Uh, sure. But, there's, but you know, Barton's an X-Factor if he gets hot. Uh, Gary Harris you could maybe call an X-Factor even though he's more consistent, but if he has like a 30-point night, that's a huge X-Factor. So Denver, to me, I don't know that I actually have one. Let's Let's wrap up this part of the show with – Michael Malone, Terry Stotts. Michael Malone, we're still learning on because he's only had one playoff series and it was against Greg Popovich. But Terry Stotts, would, how do you grade him as a playoff coach? You know, he the things that he is bad at as a coach um, kind of get magnified in the playoffs because he's pretty stubborn with lineup stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes him a while in season to to say, okay, this this definitively doesn't work. Let's try something else. He's pretty he pretty much just says this works. Like look at the numbers. This works, and then it takes a while for him to to make those adjustments. But I I, I think he got I think he got drastically outcoached against uh, the Pelicans. I think that was um, mm-hmm. yeah. I think that was it was pretty telling that it wasn't just the Blazers couldn't score. They had no way to stop that team. Um, it was just a mess. But I, I thought he was I thought he was really good um, in, in this round. I thought he's he's kind of redeemed himself. Some of that is like if your star goes for fifty and hits a forty footer to win the game, you look a lot smarter. But um, he, <laughs> he, he he seems to have figured out. Uh, a little bit of better to stagger Damon CJ and uh, and and just to sort of uh, at least specifically against OKC, his scheming enough defensively to hide their weaknesses and and make Cantor a useful player. And to me, that's uh, that, that's good enough to deserve praise. Let's take our final break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up with some predictions, talking about Game One, predicting the series as a whole, and then just which players we think are going to have breakout uh, breakout series. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, I'm back here with Mike Richmond, host of the Locked On Blazers. I'm, of course, Adam Mata's host of Locked On Nuggets. And here, right ahead of Game 1, we're going to start with some predictions about what, how we see this thing going. No, first question for you, Denver just had a seven-game series. Jokic just played, I think, 44 minutes in the final game or 43 minutes, and he was pretty exhausted afterward. How much of an advantage do you think it is that Denver just played two nights ago and, you know, kind of left a lot on the court uh, to get out of that win? I think it's more mental than physical. I think the mental strain of having to play that Saturday night really brutal game that came down to the um, 
I mean brutal in terms of it, it being challenging. It was fine, yeah. guys. I don't I don't care if teams score tri- in the triple digits. <laughs> that doesn't bother me. There's beauty in the struggle, but I think the mental strain of playing a game seven, um, particularly for a young team that hasn't gone through that, and and uh, I think that's more of a challenge. I think the Blazers with five days to kind of clear their minds and get ready. You don't you don't you have less likely to have that sort of hangover from, hey, we just won a big playoff series, let's come out flat in game one. So I, I think there is an advantage um, in the Blazers' favor, but I think it's more mental than physical. It's funny, there's always the, the balance between too much rest, maybe you're rusty, and then you know not enough rest, you're tired. Um, but I think Denver, here's one of Denver's defining traits of the Nikola Jokic era. It's certainly a, a hangover from previous seasons and into this season. I think it's part of the next phase of their growth is to get over this, but they seem to know when they need 100% and then and when they don't. And when they don't, they don't give 100%. I mean, they really, you know, down through two games to one. Game four, they came out and had one of their best games of the series. Game seven, they come out play like gangbusters. It's not until their back's against the wall, and I think the emotional and mental letdown of a game seven do or die two nights later into a game one that has relatively low stakes I, I could just see Denver having one of those 80% games where it's, you know, maybe it's enough to get it done if they shoot right, but the defense probably gives up 110, 115 points, and so they're going to have to really be on point on offense. Um, yeah. What about this one? Very little rest between games. Every single game is one day off, including the days with travel, until game seven. If there's a game seven, they'll have two days off. Um, does that give an advantage one way or another? You know, in general, I think that gives an advantage to the team that plays at altitude. Agree. Uh, I think, I think, just generally speaking, that's a problem. That's probably leans in the Nuggets' favor. But I don't put a ton into that. Like, and these dudes are guys playing at this late stage in the in the playoffs. So are usually kind of ready to go physically. Um, it's either like it's binary. It's you are, you aren't. You know, it's not like you know. But I, I actually, I'll just I'll push back on this for one thing for for one reason. Sure. I think the guys are all in shape. It's not a question of like oh that guy's out of shape. But I do think the altitude just affects your body differently, and it's a shock to the system. So games one and two, you know, game one Denver's going to be. T- I think it's going to be even. Game two, they'll probably be. A, they're not. Their bodies won't physically be adjusted to the altitude, but they'll at least have some experience. I think game five. Uh, gives Denver a bit of an advantage just because that'll be a game everybody travels back. To me, that's the one where I think the altitude and the short rest might might play in Denver's favor a little bit more than any other. But that's one game, and yeah, uh, home court advantage is an advantage no matter where you are. Yeah. One of the Blazers <laughs> health guys once told me that uh, that uh, the you'd be better better off flying into the game about an hour before tip-off. And they'd actually had petitioned back in the day when the Blazers and Nuggets were like back-to-back partners, and for whatever reason the Blazers would always seemingly play the second night of a back-to-back in Denver, Yeah, uh, that they would petition to travel later. Uh, and the that's, NBA that's has wild. rules about how late you could travel, and, and they would pe- they'd petition the league to let them travel a little bit later because basically the moment you show up there, uh, you know your blood starts having issues with the altitude. So they wanted that's to show crazy. up. They wanted to show up like morning of the game, to give them, <laughs> you know, to have no time. And the NBA had, had you know said, why would we cut you with these weird rules? I have heard it messes with your sleep because yeah, like while you're sleeping at rest, you're you're just there's less oxygen, so you're breathing slightly less, you know, than than you're used to. So I have heard it disrupts sleep. Um, all right, game one. What's your prediction? How do you think it goes? What's the key storyline, and who gets the win? Um, I, I think 
I think it really, like I said before, I think it hinges on if Murray's good. If Mur- if if Murray's good, he gives the Blazers so many problems because they just have there's just so much to deal with in sort of those Jokic Murray actions. If he's having a crap game, he's had some crap games. Uh, I think the Blazers can are, can pull away and win this game. I think Dame is playing at a level that gives them um, it, it just gives them a leg up. He's been the best player. He might have been the best player in the playoffs. Um, with all due respect, how good Kevin Durant so. is. Yeah, but um, but he's been fantastic. So I I, I I liked the Blazers' chances in Game One. I was uh, I was curious to see if they might even be favored in Game One on the road. They are not from the books I looked at. Yeah, um, three. They opened at three and a half point. Denver was a three and a half point favorite. The line's up to four. Yeah, I saw four right before we started to record. So yeah. Uh, so I, I think I think it'll be close. But I I kind of like the Blazers' chances in Game One. But I'm, my listeners will know this, but uh, yours might not, Adam. Is that I am always wrong about this stuff. I have, I'm writing an incredible, yeah. an incredible like four and a half month streak of being wrong. So uh, that's pretty exciting. So yeah. uh, you know, I pick I pick the Blazers. So go nuts. I, uh, I'm, pick, I, I'm picking the Blazers in game one as well um, because the, the, what I just said, the emotional letdown. Den, Denver's this team that I expect their like B effort, maybe maybe B minus effort. Um, and not not necessarily effort as in they're not trying, but just as in, you know, there's certain things that you you jump higher when your life is threatened. <laughs> and then yeah, I yeah. think knows that they just came out of a moment where their their season was threatened, and now they're in one that's not so. Um, I think Denver plays plays okay. I think it's a fun game. I think it's a really high scoring game. I would not be surprised if Game One was the highest scoring game of of the entire series. Um, before teams kind of start to make adjustments and figure right, each other out. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. So I could see tomorrow being a shootout with some really ridiculous numbers, um, but I'm going to give Portland a slight edge in this one. What about the series? The series, I, I think these two teams are really even, and when it's like that, you, I just want to. I just think that it's the team with home court advantage has a much better chance of winning. Uh, I, I I see this one going six or seven, uh, but you know Denver's playing at home. They're going to get you know they get four games at home, so uh, I, yeah. I like I like the Nuggets, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Blazers end up in the Western Conference Finals. I mean, this team was supposed to be. This team was supposed to have, you know, had the rug pulled out from under them a month ago, and somehow here they are. Yeah. I'm going to go Denver in seven. And you know what's fun about both of these teams? They're both sort of a nobody-believes-in-us team, um, and that's why they're a fun matchup, especially with all the other conference finals or conference semifinals games. Everybody's so high and been talking about them all year. Denver feels the exact same way as Portland. Everybody's counted them out. They We made T-shirts on DenverStiffs.com today that say frauds on it like because that, that was the word everybody was using all year. Oh, this team is such a fraud. And I don't think anybody in Denver really thinks Denver's the second-best team in the West. I think everybody knows you know, Golden State, Houston are top dogs. Utah right there with Denver. Um, win help, fully healthy regular season type stuff. But Denver, I think internally everybody knows Denver is on par with the Portlands and you know, maybe slightly ahead of the San Antonio, Oklahoma City, Los Angeles Clippers teams, but not not in the other upper tier. So both teams, I think, have a chip on their shoulder. They're both best when they're underdogs. I think this goes seven. If Denver took care of San Antonio in five and had five days off of rest, I, I would have probably picked Denver in five against uh, in, in this round too because I do think Denver, especially with the injuries, I think Denver is, is a lot better. But given Dame being the most clutch, experienced playoff performer, um, I, I and just given that they're more well rested, I, I think that uh, I, I think it's going to go seven. But I got Denver. I actually, I actually think I feel better about this one from Denver's perspective than I did about the Spurs one. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think anyone I don't think anyone who watched that that uh, 
first-round Nuggets series thinks this team's a world beater, but I don't think anyone who's watched the, watched them play the first 82 games of the season is like, this team stinks, you know? Like, it, they're just, the truth is somewhere in the middle. I think the way I put it was San Antonio was the perfect first-round series for the eighth youngest team in playoff history, which is what Denver is. It was the perfect one. They got They lost game one. They were against a, a good but not great team. They had to go on, you know, they had to get a win on the road. They had to get a win in game seven. They had to go through all these little benchmarks. They kind of had a full playoffs worth of experience in one series. And I don't think that the, that means they're like all grown up now and they're ready. But um, I do think it, it will serve them well if they can make this, if they can extend this run and extend this series. So um, it should be a fun one. Uh, anything you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, you know, y'all are probably already listening, but listen to Lockdown Blazers. Um, I have stuff. I, I write uh, next day stories after Blazer home games on NBC Sports Northwest. So if you want to see what I write about these games, check that website out. And, yeah, follow your boy on Twitter, at Mike G. Rich. I'll have all of that in the description of the show. And then, you know, for the Blazers listening, because we're doing a crossover episode here, obviously denverstiffs.com is the home for all of our analysis, Locked On Nuggets. I, I know my listeners will be listening to Locked On Blazers, as they did for Locked On Spurs. It's just fun to get... You know, you get the the a bit of a Homer perspective, even though I think we both can do a good job of being unbiased. You still get it's it's always good to get the perspective from an outsider. So, um, I, I think both of our listeners will be tuning into both of those. Mike, thanks so much for 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 joining me. Yeah, and, man. And everybody else, we'll have a great series, and we'll be following this all along the way. We'll talk to you then.